Forests of mill chimneys pierced Bradford's skyline. Soon they would be belching forth their daily toxic plumes, poisoning the air of the masses in exchange for riches of the few. Gas lamps cast pale, faint shadows onto the doors of the tiny back-to-back -back houses where workers had started to stir. One by one, doors opened, disgorging both old and young into the darkness, into the swirling smog. Humanity, drowning in poverty, hunched up in thin winter coats and shawls, snaked their way through the town, many making for the mills. For most, on this last Thursday of 1888, it would be just another ordinary day. For one local family, the day would not be so ordinary. Fear would strike, hearts would break, and lives would never be the same. Mary Ann Gill bustled around her tiny but spotless kitchen, humming to herself. She stood in front of the range on the once cheerful rag rug, now much worn out in the middle, waiting for the kettle to boil. While she did so, her family sat around the table chatting as they waited for their tea. The gills were poor but clean. She lived by her mother's motto, from Leviticus, 15. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Thomas Gill, husband, father, and local cabman, was proud of his brood of four. He loved his girls, including wee Sammy, but Johnny was his eldest son, and there was a strong bond between them. John, as he was christened, was a handsome, delicate-looking lad with his golden curls and deep violet-blue eyes, pretty almost. He was gentle in nature, thoughtful, friendly, and trusting. Too trusting, some would later say. When people met him for the first time, they noticed him, for there was something very special about the lad. He listened with intent when someone spoke and displayed a sharp intellect and maturity far beyond his years. Thomas and Mary Ann Gill tried very hard not to let it show, but Johnny was, without a doubt, their favourite child. Mary Ann glanced at Thomas as he reached over and playfully ruffled Johnny's hair. The little boy pulled back. Oh, Dad, don't do that. Mummy's just brushed it. Well, lad, you be eight soon. You should be brushing your own hair now, Thomas said with a smile. Thomas was delighted at how the lad was turning out. His teachers at Kirkgate Sunday School consistently sang his praises. Johnny was beginning to show great promise, they said. Tom Gill allowed himself to dream big. Yes, he thought. Johnny will be someone one day. Make a name for himself. He won't be a poor cabbie like me. Perhaps he'll be a big manager up at one of them wool mills one day. Perhaps... His dreams were rudely interrupted. The girls who loved to gang up on their little brother and teased him often now seized on their father's words. Ruth, five years older than Johnny, looked over at her younger sister Jane and smiled impishly. She started chanting, Johnny is a baby, Johnny is a baby. Jane needed no encouragement to join in. Samuel, small as he was, left the table and gave him a protective hug. Johnny hugged his brother in return and carried on pushing his wooden train around the table. Ignoring the girls, he started imitating the noise of the steam trains he saw most days now at Midland Station, with his new friend, Willie Barrett. His mother placed a tin mug of steaming tea in front of him, and he quickly discarded the train. Tar, mummy, he said, 
looking up at her with his big blue eyes, flashing her one of his disarming smiles. His mother kissed his dimpled cheek while she looked over at the girls in a disapproving manner. She gave them the look. They cast their eyes downward and looked suitably chastised for a fraction of a heartbeat. Then they slyly looked at each other from under their dark eyelashes and started to giggle. Johnny, be a good lad and run up to the stable yard and tell George to put a horse in my cab. I'd best be off. Okay, da. Johnny pushed the train towards Sam and dashed off, happy for the diversion. In a few minutes he was back, 